The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. The Church of England has drawn up proposals for what's arguably the most radical redesign of its internal government since the Reformation. The details were leaked to the Times last week, and they are, what's the best way to describe them, how about insanely stupid, and predictably so because they show that the Church of England is being sucked even further into the heavily politicised cult of bureaucracy that's sucking the life out of parishes all over the country. Something rather similar, I might add, is happening to the Catholic Church, whose bureaucratic classes have fallen in love with Anglican-style synods as a way of increasing their grip over the local church. Anyway, in case you missed it, here's the Times story, published rather oddly, on my Times app without a byline, under the headline, Behold the Bishop of Brexit as Church Models Itself on Politics. It says, Church leaders could be appointed to full-time cabinet-style roles such as Brexit Bishop or Covid Bishop under proposals seen by, I leaked to, the Times for the biggest overhaul of how the Church of England is run in centuries. The ecclesiastical map of England could also be redrawn via mergers between the 42 dioceses, the creation of new constituencies for bishops based on cities or counties, and the appointment of senior regional bishops to oversee large areas of the country. The document suggests a reduction in the number of lords spiritual, the 26 bishops who sit in the House of Lords, although it doesn't say to what number. Some senior bishops who no longer want to serve a geographical diocese could be appointed spokesmen on special topics, quotes, about which they have, quotes, a very particular passion and knowledge. Some diocesan bishops comment on areas in which they have expertise, such as gambling reform, but none do so full-time and all remain in charge of a regional territory. The church could expand the number of non-territorial bishops, the document says, adding... These roles could be fixed term. Examples might have been the appointment of a Brexit bishop or a Covid bishop. Well, thank God we were spared that. Presumably the Brexit bishop's job would have been to try and persuade people to vote against it. And the Covid bishop's job would have been to try and persuade the government to close as many churches as possible for as long as possible. Now, I haven't seen this confidential briefing, but somebody who has is the Reverend Marcus Walker, the rector of St Bartholomew the Great in the City of London. Here's what he told me about it. It's absolutely fascinating. It's a consultation document, which means that it hasn't remotely been approved or recommended to go forward, but it has quite a large number of suggestions which are now formally being consulted upon. So it's definitely proposing ideas that are floating around in the water. The biggest one that the press has picked up on is this idea of creating a sort of cabinet, a sort of shadow cabinet of bishops as spokespeople of government policies, I suppose, or major issues of the day. So a Brexit bishop or a Covid bishop. This has already been happening. 
We've had bishops who have been leading on various big issues, but they've been doing that whilst still being the Bishop of Ely or the Bishop of Sheffield or whichever bishop they might be. They still had their, their seat. What this report proposes is actually creating a kind of curia of bishops not attached to any see, possibly not ordained into any particular geographical area, but nonetheless with the authority of being a bishop, I suppose, speaking on these issues. That would be a huge change to the theory of episcopacy, the theology of episcopacy that we have in the Church of England. The other changes are perhaps even bigger and perhaps even more worrying. There are proposals to impose a time limit on serving as a diocesan bishop of five or seven years and then encouraging people to reapply for their job. This, of course, would create an absolutely quiescent bench of bishops. If you know that your continued job, house, chauffeured car and so on depends on being reappointed by a panel that's chaired by the archbishop and so on, you are going to be a heck of a lot less willing to speak out publicly about theological issues or anything to do with the church. So that would be quite worrying. There's also proposals grouping dioceses together, having one big regional bishop and little area bishops underneath them, thereby reducing the number of actual dioceses where bishops actually hold their office in right, appointed by the Queen, actually to becoming much more of a structure that resembles a corporate body with a CEO and then directors and deputy directors and all the rest, all the way down to us. Poor little people on the shop floor in the parishes. This reflects a much more managerial mindset. I think it would wind up, again, centralising power and authority and actually the localised realisation of what it means to be a Christian. And actually that's the big question floating around all this. Where are we best able to work out how to follow Christ, how to be a Christian in England? And to my mind, the best place is in the local. It's in the parish, and then up from that in the diocese. A lot of mergers should happen. A lot of places have changed. We've had demographic change. A large number of places no longer have that many Christians living in it. It's not a bad thing to look at how to rationalise these things. These dioceses, our entire structure, that's not bad. But this proposal? It would be the biggest change to the theology of the Church of England. Might say decades, might say since the Reformation. It would, be, it would completely change what it means to be a bishop and from that completely change what our relationship is up and down and across. The relationship between bishop and parishes, the relationship between the ordinary people of God and the national churches, what the relationship of the national churches to the wider international and indeed Catholic church. That was the Reverend Marcus Walker, who's rector of St Bartholomew the Great, the oldest parish church in the city of London, where he's been conspicuously successful in encouraging a revival of traditional Anglican worship. His criticism of the CAB's mushrooming bureaucracy is razor-sharp, though never unfair. And it's interesting that his opinions, together with those of another independent clergyman, the Reverend Giles Fraser, seem to carry more weight with the average Anglican than those of any senior bishop, with the exception of the Archbishop of Canterbury, but not, I think, the mediocre, jargon-spouting non-entity who's the Archbishop of York. He's called Stephen Cottrell, I believe. But talking of Archbishop Justin Welby, his views attract attention mostly because they're consistently biased, political and muddle-headed which is exactly what the CV was trying to escape from when it appointed him. The omens were good. He had an unusual and promising background. He'd been the treasurer of a city oil firm, 
before finding God at Holy Trinity Brompton, a London evangelical church far more interested in spreading the message of Jesus Christ than in winning applause from Guardian leader writers. But as it turned out, Welby's background in business was a mixed blessing, to put it mildly. He quickly earned the reputation of being a managerial control freak, a man with a positively Napoleonic passion for centralisation. Formerly a supporter of Margaret Thatcher, a long time ago, he now adopted, with only the lightest dusting of Christianity, the monolithic and predictable left-wing views of the British establishment. And he exercised his now greatly increased power to appoint bishops in order to promote clergy who were fluent in public sector jargon. This new consultation document, if not written by him, was certainly written in order to please him. It will complete the suffocation of ordinary parish life that has been one of the hallmarks of his time in office. And it will do so by completely entrenching the power of the secularising shiny pants who now control the Church of England right down to the level of Archdeacon. So, as I say, this is a very Welby-esque document, but you certainly can't blame it all on the Archbishop of Canterbury, or even the ever-growing body of Anglican bureaucrats. Their rise to eminence is a symptom of a wider malaise that's gripping the whole of established Western Christianity. This might seem a rather fanciful or extreme analogy, but it reminds me of the way the French revolutionaries managed, at least for a time, to subjugate the French church, replacing the worship of God by the worship of a particular model of social progress. Marcus said earlier that this proposed redefinition of the office of bishop would damage the Church of England's relationship with, as he put it, the rest of the Catholic Church meaning not just the Catholic Church based in Rome, but also all the ancient Episcopal Churches of the East. But I'm afraid that in the case of the Catholics, certainly under the pontificate of Francis, I wouldn't be so sure. This Pope is far more interested in fighting political battles than theological ones. Or perhaps I should say that his theological battles are really political ones in disguise. And, like Archbishop Justin Wilby, he's a control freak. His so-called synodal pathway is actually a ruthless exercise in centralisation. It wouldn't surprise me if one of its conclusions, that's supposing it does conclude rather than collapsing into chaos, is the establishment of cabinet-style portfolios for bishops who might very well be attached to a bureaucratic body rather than a local diocese. And there will be the same dual purpose. Firstly, the creation of an entirely subservient class of bureaucrat bishops. And secondly, enforcing ideological conformity. Going back to the Church of England, there's very little danger that these new portfolio bishops will express views which deviate significantly from the liberal consensus. I mean, they might, I suppose, but if they do, they'll find that their time in office is terminated by a committee acting on the instructions of the Archbishop of Canterbury. I really do think that this is closer to the notorious French constitutional church than to the apostolic mission given to the first bishops, Jesus' disciples. It's true that Jesus apparently made Judas the equivalent of Chancellor of the Exchequer. That didn't work out very well. But I don't remember him saying, Philip, you look after climate change. Bartholomew, you're responsible for Judea's possible secession from the Roman Empire. Andrew, I know you wanted the Exchequer, but actually you're going to have to make do with the environment. And Thaddeus, we think your unique talents are best applied to um, levelling up. 
Now, I hope I don't have to explain why our Lord didn't do these stupid things, but one reason, presumably, was that nobody would have given us stuff what the apostles thought about these weighty matters. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's inappropriate for a bishop who's made a particular study of something like the Times mentioned gambling addiction, which really is a scourge of people's souls, to draw attention to the human devastation that results. Likewise, some bishops have done a lot of good by campaigning relentlessly and much to their credit against the international slave trade. But they have no business pontificating about purely secular subjects such as Brexit. It alienates them from a very significant proportion, possibly a majority of their flock. And it doesn't even earn them brownie points with the influential figures in politics and the media whom they're trying to impress. Because the sheer banality of their opinions just reminds everyone that the intellectual calibre of the clergy is not what it was. And incidentally, that's certainly true of documents emanating from the Vatican under Francis which are so badly written and incoherent that they really have no more magisterial authority than the ramblings of an elderly parish priest in his newsletter. And one really depressing aspect of this political grandstanding is that the faithful have no mechanism by which to vote these people out of office. And that leaves me thinking that despite the historically undemocratic nature of the episcopacy, Maybe we need one.